Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Feel like I think that Mandy was right. There's this this been this attack, this oppression that I have seen. And I, and I, I here's another thing. I I can't predict the future, and I I I'm not an incredibly great planner with some things. Okay, and you may think, look, I know between the Sunday school class, you know, the Beth had and the in the in the message you brought, you guys collaborated. No, we've never done that, not ever. And you may think that's not true, but I'm telling you, it is true. We've never done it. Okay, more than that, there is no possible way. I, I, I didn't know what scripture or worship team was going to use today. I had no clue. They didn't know what my message was going to be, per se. They knew part of it. Okay, you know, you couldn't, I didn't know that these things would happen when this message was planned months ago. I've been outside of a series now for a little while, uh, and I think you're kind of enjoying not being in a series. Uh, we're going to go back to one uh, here pretty soon. But at the, at the same time, these potluck sermons, as I call them, I think, I think are good because God uses them for specific things that his congregations go through. And this is one of those days. This is one of those times. This is one of those, those situations. And so it's almost perfect, I think, for what's going on. And, and I've entitled this message, Lessons for Spiritual Battles. Or, you know, you, according to the scripture, it's the day of battle. Because they're going to come, you know. And it comes from Joshua chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Joshua 10. Uh, and you will find that this is a time when uh, Israel is uh, under Joshua's uh, control. And uh, we are, uh, you know, promised land bound and taking all of these things that God has promised. And, of course, there's always people. I mean, when you go into someone's land... Uh, and they own it, and you want to take it, well, you're going to get some resistance, amen. They're just not going to give it up. And, and these people had heard about the Israelites. They are a little afraid of them, but they were going to fight for their land. And I suspect we would do the same, amen. And so these people were not godly, though. And God went before the Israelites and with them and said, I'm going to take care of business on your behalf. And so he does. And so if you'll t- uh, look at chapter 10 and scroll down to verse 6, uh, we'll find the Gibeonites here are going to, right, we talked about those guys where they, they kind of tricked Israel into making a treaty with them, and God never said to do that. But now Joshua finds himself in a situation where, because he has a treaty with them, he has to protect them, okay? And, and here, here's God using what was meant for bad, trickery, and lies, and deceit. God's going to use for good, you know. Here it comes. And so watch what happens. And so the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. And so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And so, get this. (laughs) After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road, going up from Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Ezekiah and Maccabee. And they, fl- and they flew, or they fled before the Israel on the road down from Beth Haran and Ezekiah, and the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day of the Lord, he gave the Amorites over to Israel, and Joshua said to the, to the, to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since a day when the Lord listened to a man, and surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now, before we get started, everybody wants to know, what book is Jasher? Who thought it? Come on, what book is Jasher? Where's that? You're not going to find it in the Word of God, right? Okay, real quick. I don't want to get stuck on this, but I want I want you to listen to the stuff that we're going to talk about today, not what Jasher is. Number one, Jasher is most likely a conglomeration of songs put together uh, by the Israelite people when they were in battle. Okay? And so these things are sung about, which was their practice back in those days. Uh, And to the best of our knowledge, it's been lost. We don't have any idea. It was never part of the Bible that we know of. Okay? Uh, Some scholars have said it got taken out. No, there's no evidence of that. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what I do know. There is a book out there called Jasher that you could probably get on Amazon. It is not the same thing. That is a pseudo book. It's a pseudographical book. It's, it's a conglomeration of writings of people that we don't consider canon. In fact, we, we not, don't consider them. We know they're not. Okay? But this book, this, this listed here, is probably a lost book, and there are several. But it was never part of Scripture, but it was basically a bunch of songs probably by the Hebrew people when they went into battle and they sung about those victories. So therefore, now you somewhat, did that explain and allay some of that stuff for you? Okay. Now, let's get into the message here that we came to hear about today. First of all, in chapter 10, friends, we find that uh, it opens with the five kings of of Canaan joining forces, and they're here to attack this uh, nation of Gibeon who has made a treaty with Israel, okay? And so now the five kings don't know it, but they're playing directly into the hand of Joshua here. Okay? They come together, they think strength in numbers, we're going to go against Israel, we're going to wipe these guys out. But now, instead of having to go and pick them off one by one, he's got them all together. God brought them all together, and God's going to defeat them right here in the name of the Israelites. And isn't God just like putting things together like that to make it fly? You see it this way, and God says, oh, wait a minute, look what I can do. And so he does. So for Israel, it's just another battle in this conquest of the promised land. But for us, friends, I think it's this massively vivid picture of the Christian life. Now, let me explain that just a minute. You see, I believe that battles are a reality in the life of the child of God. Has anybody in here figured that out yet? You're awful stoic today. 
Come on now. I just talked about battle in the life of a child of God. You do know that these are real, right? That they're a reality. Anybody figured it out? Have you seen it? Are you experiencing it? Okay. Do you think it's just happenstance that these things are happening to you? Or do you think because you belong to Christ that the devil stepped up his game on you? Anybody think that? But here's the deal. We never have to face them alone. <laughs> and aren't you grateful for that? You see, in the day of battle, we have the promise of help from the one who is. And I want to remind you today that our lives, friends, not might be, not could be, but will be, okay, filled with battles. Now, these battles, in my mind, as I read the Scripture, once you become a Christian, are not really physical battles. Neither are they battles with really other people, although we battle with other people, and we have physical battles. I get that. But when you become a Christian, they automatically, every one of them transforms into a spiritual battle that deals with the physicality and the dealing with other people. Yeah? Isn't that really what happens here? It's always a spiritual battle now. Okay? Again, they may seem like they're physical. They may seem like what they're others. A lot of times they are. But there's, there's this cloud around them that makes it clear to us that it's, it's a supernatural spiritual battle that we're fighting. Why? Because you belong to Christ. And the enemy just doesn't like that very much. So everything becomes about him now. And every battle you fight is now taking on a spiritual context. And so that's what's going on. Now, the Word of God says that our battles are always spiritual battles. Because Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, in the English Standard Version, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present, get this, darkness. That's your clue right there. Present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil, which are, get this, in the heavenly places. What's heavenly? Wherever God is. Does that mean in the heavenly of heavenlies? Yes. Does it mean here on earth in the hearts and minds of God's children where he resides by his spirit? Yes. Yes. So where are these battles fought? Here. There. Wherever God is. You see. And when you're with God, you're caught up in it. Amen? So obviously this is what's happening. Now since our battle is supernatural, our weapons are going to also have to be supernatural. Would you agree? I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, I watch a lot of war movies and things like that, you know, and uh, trying to, because I like the history part of it, um, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, and I, and I, online one time, I thought, I wonder, you know, how, you know, a, a Tiger tank from Germany, which was the best at the time, would fare against, you know, a modern day Abrams tank or, or a T-34, something like that now, or a T-72. The fact of the matter is, better than you might think, but not very well. So, because things have changed. But again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go into a gun battle with a knife. You, you just wouldn't. You take the best you have available to you. And friends, gosh, I don't care what, you know, what's available to you, you know, as far as weaponry. I know God's available to you. And because he is, what else do you really need now? You see? It doesn't mean don't protect yourself. It doesn't mean I'm not going to wear a weapon because I'm going to. Like I said this morning, if somebody walks in the front door with an assault rifle, I'm the first person they're going to see. 
And I suspect they're going to find out several other people are, are, are well endowed, yeah? Okay, because we're not going to be silly and stupid about it. We live in a different world today, okay? So we have to be smart about it. But I know that the Lord has given us the ability to use those weapons to protect ourselves because he, He's there with us, you see. And so I'm grateful that the Father has done it. Now, the more I think about it, I realize that this spiritual battle, we have to take a look at how supernatural it is because our weapons have to be, because it's a spiritual thing. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul says, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. They're just not. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's got to be the Holy Spirit, friends. Got to be. So with that in mind, I'd like us this morning to possibly join Joshua. Now, I'd ask you to close your eyes a minute and kind of go back in time, but I'm afraid I won't get you back. So don't do that. But, but go with me with your eyes open, right, using the imagination that you have of what it might be like to be in battle with the Israelites and see God move. Because if you can do that this morning, you're going to be able to do it when the battle comes to you. And that, friends, is what we're looking for. And so as we observe Joshua and they fight the good fight, we observe them in their day of battle. There are very special lessons, I think, that can help us learn that when we face spiritual battles today, we can, we can use it. First of all, let's talk about, talk about lessons about God. See, I, I, don't, I don't think we really... <laughs> How do I go about this? I think sometimes... Well, I, I don't need to know about God because I already know about Him. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, I don't. We don't know enough about God. Because just when you think you've got God figured out, he goes and does something, you're like, well, maybe not. All right, then. Yeah? I just wonder how much God's got in reserve. Because, see, he doesn't really have any reserve. That's God's frontline power. He just doesn't use it all the time. He doesn't need to. God doesn't need a reserve. I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff here. We, we couldn't possibly know everything there is to know about God. But, so we've got to learn about him. In these verses, we find Israel is about to honor the peace treaty that they have with the Gibeonites. They're going to keep their word. They're going to help these people. They're going to fight these five kings that's come down to rise up against them. And as they prepare for battle, God comes to them with this promise of help and absolute victory. He says, I'm going to give them to you. And so God is about clearly to fight for his people. You can see that, that he threw them into confusion anyway. And then with the hail, he killed more of them with hail than the people did with their swords. I got to be thinking, man, that God, he's, he's pretty impressive. Yeah? Can you imagine what size hail it must have been to kill people like that? I've seen some big hail, but I wouldn't want to get hit by any of them. Huh. So this section, to me, represents the supernatural aspects of our battles. And there are times, friends, when the Lord just comes to your aid, and then he just sort of kind of fights the battle for you. You, you. Well, how do we put it? Well, you gird up your loins or whatever, and you get prepared. You prepare yourself for battle, and then you find out you don't have to do any fighting. God just takes care of it. I've seen that time and time again. I was prepared for battle when I was going to have to go confront somebody or somebody was going to come see me about something or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And, and you know what? I, 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 I get to, and God's just like, did it. No battle was fought. God took care of it, you know? And then there's going to be times when he moves in power and performs these amazing miracles in your life. And I think, friends, such a time is pictured right here. And there are these three precious truths, I think, that are revealed about God and who 
he who is our savior in our day of battle. And the first thing is that notice God gave them his peace. I mean, if, 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 if every commander in history of mankind knew that when they went into battle, they were going to win it, absolutely, without question, we wouldn't fear the battle too much. And God came to them and said, hey, don't be afraid. I got this. You're gonna, I'm going to give you absolute victory. I'd be like, okay, that's good stuff. In fact, in verse 8, God's challenge to his people was for them not to fear the enemy because he was simply reminding Joshua that, guess what? He was still in control of the situation. Friends, Joshua knew that God was in control. You and I, when we go into battle, know that God's in control. But you know what? It's good for us to still be reminded of it because sometimes we don't act like God's in control. Right? We, do, we don't always act like it. And neither was Joshua here. And so that's why God, I mean, God doesn't just say it for any reason. He's got a purpose behind it. So God says, look here. I'm still in control. Don't fear, blah, blah, blah. And he's telling you the same thing. I don't know what you're facing. I know what some of you are facing. I know what I've been facing. But I know who goes before me and with me. I know he's in control. And I know some way, somehow, even if it doesn't seem like it at the time, I'm going to gain a victory. You might not win every battle, but you will absolutely win the war. Amen? Amen. You know it. And this is what God is trying to tell Joshua. That's what he's trying to tell you. Because the fact of the matter is, God is still in control. He's still on the throne. He's still the Prince of Peace. Yeah? Well, if that's true, friends, then for those who will walk by faith and not by sight, the Lord gives peace that truly does pass understanding. And if we don't have that, then our eyes aren't focused on what they ought to be. We're not given control. We're not believing that God is who he says he is. You see, the secret to walking in peace is to walk in, walk in faith. That God's going to do it. Remember that the Lord didn't save you in order for you to be agitated and worried all the time. He, he, he did, we are, but that, but that didn't come from him, you see. He, he doesn't mean for you to tremble in fear when the enemies of God approach. See, because when you become God's, his enemies are now your enemies. <laughs> and you know who those enemies are. It could be people, but I'm not so afraid of them as I am the demons that come. You understand? Okay. You see, when the day of this spiritual battle comes to your life, the Lord is going to give you power as well as peace because that's what he does. But you have to trust in him and rely on him or how can you receive it? As God's children, we need to remember that everything that happens in our lives has to pass first over God's desk and then it has to receive his stamp of approval before it ever comes to us. Now, maybe that's an odd way of looking at it, but I tried to bring it tangible to your understanding. Paul says this is true, Romans 8, 28. Okay? Secondly, God gives us a promise. He gave them a promise. He gives you a promise. You notice that God didn't stop with just a word of encouragement. He also gave them the promise of absolute victory. And so I think to myself, okay, we've got to go back to our salvation again. So remember, when God saved you, he did so with this promise that you could always walk in victory with him, even when it didn't seem like it. Even when it doesn't seem like it. Now, that doesn't mean that every situation you have in life is going to work out always the way that you want it to, you expect it to, or you demand that it does, because we do that sometimes too, okay? 
But the fact of the matter is, friends, what happens is God will enable you, strengthen you, and empower you to live above your circumstances, which are besieging you, okay? And then to share in his victory, get this, over modern society, modern problems, modern authority when they're not God, over all of your temptations, and over Satan and all of his goons. Okay? That's what you can expect. God has given you victory over, get this, all things. Why? Because Jesus said, all authority has been given unto him, above the earth, on the earth, and below it. And he proved that now, didn't he? So that means when he's in you, you have been given victory over all things. But he isn't done. God not done yet. Not only did God give you his peace and his promise, he's also given you his power. Because in these verses, we see this mighty demonstration of the firepower that God gives into the life of his people. So he moved in this massive manifestation of supernatural power, and he gave his children the victory in the present time. Now, we find that God moved in two ways. I, I still That hail just blows my mind. I, I, I think that hail is the coolest thing, man. Now, I'm not going to pray and say, God, I don't like that person. Can, can, can some hail come down? Right? I'm probably not going to do that, friends. And, and by the way, that's, I'm trying to teach you, you shouldn't either. <laughs> but let's face it. God, it's not outside of God's power. Right? We already know that God's going to take care of his enemies with one swing of the sword. And then later in the last battle, he's going to do it with fire. God got, got a horse around here. And all those demons that's been harassing your whole life are going to pay right there. You know that, right? How much longer? Not very much. That's what I believe. God gives his power. And then look at what else he did. He made time stand still. Uh, I look in the mirror every day and wonder if we could do that again. Yeah? Maybe even regress back in time a little bit to gain some of that, you know, virility, I guess you will, where your muscles don't hurt and everything does, whatever you want to call it. Get a little hair back. That'd be good. Anybody with me here? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you're young and going, no, I don't understand. Well, you will one day. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, you know I, I think the Santa Claus is a hilarious movie. And when Scott Calvin shaves off his beard and it comes back out, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, no matter how much you color it, it's still going to be gray. No matter what you do, it's gray. And now people can say that's a, you know, a sign of wisdom. I don't think so, but okay. It's a happening though. But there are things that change. And God stopped time. Did, did you hear it? He stopped time. Right? Now, you and I are witnesses to the word of God where the Lord performed this greatest miracle probably ever recorded in the physical world. And a miracle that even today affects our time. Stunningly. Okay? God stopped the sun in the heavens and he extended the daylight hours. 
for Joshua and the army to finish their battle. Now, I'm sure and I'm aware, friends, that this passage has brought an awful lot of ridicule upon the Bible because, you know, the, people, the science people are going to say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's just not possible. <laughs> well, you just don't know God then, do you? Okay, because I'm telling you, not only is it possible, it's a fact. God did it. Some believe that it proves that the Bible is uninspired because science has long since proven that the earth rotates around the sun, you know. Okay, and that the sun doesn't move, right? Well, we don't really know exactly what the sun does. Okay, I mean, nobody on this planet's ever got close enough to study it. <laughs> so, and I don't think you're going to. So, listen, right? We know some things about our solar system. We know some things about, well, we don't know everything. Anybody believe, even you science people, would you agree that's probably true? Well, you know, God created it, so he would know, wouldn't he? And I know that God stopped time. I know that God did exactly what he said he was going to do. I would like to make a few statements about this miracle that, for me at least, settles the issue. Now, number one, we, we all speak about the sunrise and the sunset. We don't talk about the earth's revolution. We talk about the sunrise and sunset. Because to us, that's what it does, yeah? Okay? We don't use these technical or scientific languages to describe the things that we observe around us all the time. Okay? So very literally... As far as I'm concerned, the sun hung at the zenith of the sky for an entire day. That's what happened. I don't know how God did it. I don't know if he stopped the earth's rotation. I don't know if he stopped the earth. I don't know what he did. I just know that the sun stood still because the earth stood still, and there we are. It happened. We gained a day. Second, ancient history supports the claim because the Chinese, the Babylonians, the Incas, the Aztecs, the Egyptians, and the Assyrians, and so many other ancient cultures all record, friends, even though they're bitter enemies, some of them, record the existence of a very long day which occurred at this time. Now, what do you do with that? Okay? Not only that, the calendar supports it. If we use an ancient Chaldean calendar system, which was built around lunar and solar eclipses, okay, it's possible to count forward all the way to this day and find that this day fell on Tuesday, July 22nd. Did you hear what I said? Wake up. Tuesday, July 22nd. Going forward with lunar and uh, solar eclipses. Right. We can, we can count it. Now, if we count backward, okay, using our system and the way that we reckon days, so to speak, okay, we'll find that this event happened on July 22nd, which was a Wednesday. Is there a problem here? Not really. It's just the fact that an entire day is missing either way you go. So verse 13 basically tells us where the missing day went. Now, you can think whatever you want, friends, but to me, science and mathematics prove that it happened. History proves that it happened. And the Bible says it did. Either you believe that or you don't. So guess what? Did God stop time? Yes, he did. Now, some are going to surely counter, but pastor, this violates the, all the laws of nature. And I'm going to say, yes, I know it does. But I just simply would like to remind you that there really are no laws of nature. Did you hear what I said? There really are no laws of nature. There's only the laws of which God has, and those laws govern nature. Now, we need to remember who made this world. If he can create it, then he can certainly control it, and he does. Now, I heard it once said about mothers, 
Mom can tell you, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Yeah, I, I've known some others that I thought uh, probably true, too. But I'm going to tell you something else, okay? God created, he controls, and he will take it out. Because that's well within his prerogative and power. The bottom line is this. God intervened supernaturally on the behalf of Israel. God gave them all the daylight they needed to get the job done, didn't he? Now, what does that mean for you and I? Well, there's going to be times, friends, that I think the Lord will supernaturally intervene in your life, and he's going to fight some battles for you. And I suspect that some of you could say, oh, I, I can list some. I can tell you what they are. Okay? And I have seen, friends, people who are healed of disease. I've seen drunks that were saved and sobered immediately by the power of God. I've seen drug addicts immediately released from the power of drugs and made clean. I've observed thieves, liars, and criminals transformed instantaneously. I've seen lives changed and healed in miraculous ways by the supernatural intervention of the God that I serve. Okay? I've seen the Lord move in response to the need of a, ch a child of God and move any mountain that needed to be moved so that he could get them what they needed. Why? Because that's God. That's who he is. Now, please understand, he doesn't always move like that. And, I, I, and you know, I, I get it. I understand. I've known people that prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to do something, work a miracle, and he didn't do it. I, I, I understand. And in my heart, I get it. But even if that's me, I'd like to believe, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't turn on God if he didn't do what I asked him to do. Because I see all the evidence of things of who he is and what he's done. You see. You know, friends, I've seen many people delivered, but I've seen others who struggled with all sorts of sins even after they were saved. You know? I've seen people healed, but I've seen others that weren't. What I'm saying to you is that there are times when the Lord will move in supernatural power to meet our needs. And this is about who He is and our understanding of who He is. Secondly, we have to have lessons for us. Lessons for believers. Now, the first part, we talk about the supernatural aspect of our battles. But this section portrays the personal aspect of the battles that we're going to have to fight in life. Now, I know we really don't want You probably want me to stop where I'm at right now. Because we don't want to talk about the battles. We just want to talk about how God's going to win them. Well, unfortunately, we can't stop there. Because there's more things we have to learn, you know. God certainly gave Israel a great victory through his power, but there was still more of, a, of the battle to be fought, you see. And so we find here that Israel uh, and not the Lord engaged in the battle, and there's a lesson here for the believers of God. First of all, you must control your enemy. Oh, I got people to look up a little bit. Because the first question in your mind is, can I? Yeah. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The five kings tried to hide themselves in a cave. If you go down further in this verse, in this, in this, in this chapter, you will find that these guys went and hid themselves in a cave. And Joshua found them and said, ah, seal it up. Don't let them out. And so he did. Seals them up. Does a little bit more to them later. But, right, he humiliates them too. Uh, stands on their necks. And, of course, that's, that's going to put people over the edge today, but that's what he does. 
and so, uh, you know, I, I look at it this way. You have to understand that when these guys are discovered, you know, Joshua seals up the case so they can't, they can't get away. This is control of the situation, isn't it? He's controlled his enemy. And, and, I, and I think, you know, when you got saved, God changed you. Now, look here. If, 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 if you're not changed, then you're not saved. If God didn't change you, then he didn't save you. Now, I don't know how many pastors will stand in the pulpit and say that today, but I'm just telling it like it is. Right? If you're saved, you're changed. And the change is going to be evident because you're no longer the person you used to be, praise God. Amen? So God did that. Now, remember, your old sinful nature, though, is still kind of active. Right? It's still kind of active. That's right. The part of you that loves sin and modern society and the practices of it, well, that's still kind of alive and around, you know. And you struggle with it. And there's this, yeah? Of course, I'm, I suppose I'm the only one in here that ever deals with that. Huh? See, you know better. You know it's true. You know it. We don't always want to admit it, but it's true. We struggle with this stuff. And so, you know, hey, just like, you know, these, these kings, our enemy, which is our sinful desire, and by the way, it's controlled by Satan, mind you, okay, hides itself within us, and it runs out into the open from time to time just to cause us trouble. And doggone it, don't you know, it always seems to come out when you can't control it and somebody else notices it. Have you ever found that to be true? You're like, oh, I meant to control that, and oh, my goodness, now it's out, and now I've got to try to, you know, explain it away somehow. Like it didn't happen or they misunderstood or whatever. <laughs> wow. And I think to myself, you know, uh, I, you know I'm a movie person, and I love the movie Major League. Some of you probably don't. But I like it when they're going through some rough turbulence on this junk plane that they now have with the Cleveland Indians, you know. Um, <laughs> they, they all start praying, and the one Christian says, oh, yeah, now, now you come around. Well, he's not fooled. <laughs> right? And I think sometimes, isn't that sort of true, though? Right? Some of us try to fool God sometimes. Like, he didn't see or know what we were thinking or what we were going to do or the simple stuff that, you know, that we kind of play around in. God's like, really? Seriously? You think I didn't know? You think I don't see it? You think I'm not around somehow? Well, he is. So it comes out. Now, it might be a problem with the tongue. It could be anger. It could be hatred. It could be prejudice. It could be lust. It could be depravity. It could be pride. It could be a lack of self-control. It could be envy. It could be jealousy. It could even be dishonesty. Or even a struggle with lying or embellishing. Whatever it is, it has to be controlled, amen? Whatever it is. Or eventually, what's going to happen? It's going to control you. And I, listen, I'm speaking from experience here. And I suspect you're, you're hearing and learning from experience too. Amen? Now, I think it's important to note that part of the fruit of the Spirit that, that we got to look at here in Galatians 5.23 called temperance. It literally means self-control. It refers to that person who is the master of him or herself. And as a child of God, you have no right to do as you please. Did you hear what I said? As a child of God, you at home, you at Mecca, you here, you listening online, listen to me, friends. 
As a child of God, you have no right to do as you please. But society's going to tell you that you do. When you get to be 18, all of a sudden, miraculously, you went from not able to make decision control to one day you can. No, 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 no. I know an awful lot of 18-year-olds that I wouldn't trust to take me across the street in a wheelchair. Now, look here. Okay? And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Now, don't look around and figure out who it is. What I'm saying to you is experience is experience. Time is time. But when you become saved, you're no longer your own. You don't have that right to control anything. You gave it up when you said, yes, Lord. Anybody? You gave control and authority to Him. It's no longer yours. And guess what? You wanted to because you recognized in yourself that you couldn't be trusted. Anybody? That's why I did it. I knew I couldn't be trusted, and I thought I could control anything. And I found out pretty darn quick, I didn't. and it took combat for me to figure it out. And even then, I said I would, and I didn't. And God finally came back and said, hey, you remember that day way back when, when I and you, and we had this conversation? Yeah, what about it? Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of like sat there and paused and waited for me to respond, knowing I would dig a bigger hole, as I always do. And I say, yeah, Lord, I do. Okay. When do you think you're going to come around? But, see, nobody wants to have that conversation with God. But the sooner you have it, the better off you're going to be. Because that's when you give up that control and you realize that you don't have a right to do anything. It's on Him. The fact is, if you're saved and allowing sin to reign in your life, you're doing so with stolen property because you're no longer yourself. You, you don't own yourself anymore. You're using something that doesn't belong to you to do something God doesn't want you to do. Some of you should probably be writing. Huh? And you're, you're saying, I'm taking mental notes. No, that's gone as soon as you walk out the door. You know it and I know it. Okay? So write it down, friends, because this is true. The fact is you belong to God. You have no business using his body, his mind, and really his anything for sin, for selfishness, and for wickedness. And you know what? We do sometimes. We don't mean to always, but we do. And sometimes we think it up and do it too. Right? Now, Paul says this is true in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20. Proof of walking in the spirit, friends, is self-control. It always has been. So how you doing with this? I mean, it's a fair question. And you got to answer it. So you got to control your enemy. Secondly, you have to confront your enemy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, th- this is the one that nobody wants to do because you know if you confront the enemy, sometimes the enemy is going to back down and sometimes they're going to fight. And you hope they're going to back down. Nobody goes into it hoping they're going to fight. Well, Marines do. Mar- am I right, Marines? Come on, come on, come on. Okay, Clyde. <laughs> Marines do. Now, I don't know about anybody else. Okay? You say the army does too? Uh, I never lost a fight with a soldier. Anyway, <laughs> I had a Navy chief beat the snot on me once, but I'll tell you, that's a fact. Anyway, just saying, and I, I, I was sinful and young and dumb, so I'm going to say, and, and there's more to that story. Anyway, nevertheless, okay, this is what I know. Confrontation is something nobody wants. Nobody in here says, oh, I can't wait to confront so-and-so. And if you do, you're probably labeled as a jerk. 
Huh? Nobody really likes confrontation. Who does anybody over here like confrontation? Anybody? Who like who loves confrontation? Anybody over here? I, I can't see this. Who who likes confrontation? Everybody's kind of Andrew's back here like this here. He don't like it. He, he don't like it. You guys don't like it. This, this, surely this section somebody's got. You don't like confrontation, Taryn. Get out of here. You don't like confrontation either, Craig. Come on. Okay. You'll do it, but you don't like it. Okay? Right? That's that's Marines, man. Yeah, I know. Uh, you yeah, you two characters. Okay, anybody here like confrontation? No. Mandy, you're in the wrong seat. You should be over here. I just, I just noticed that. Anyway, I just, listen to me, guys. The confrontation, but you, this is how you win battles. You, nobody, I, hey, listen, anybody that's ever been to combat doesn't want to go back. I don't know anybody that wants to, do you want to go back? You want to go back? Anybody? Want to go back? mm you, you see, when you first start, you don't know what it is, so you think, well, you know, okay, and you get you're kind of excited and kind of nervous at the same time, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, because yeah. you've been told you're the best, so you got the best equipment, you got the best commanders, and we all know that isn't true, right? Because you find out pretty quick. You, right. But here's the deal: you, 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 there's a lot of unknown, but so you go on a lot of it by not knowing what to think, and so, but once you've done it, I don't know anybody with a sane mind that wants to go back. So, after the battle had been won here, Joshua comes back to this cave and brought these kings out and he humiliates them by having his princes place their feet on these kings' necks. And so, he confronts them openly and publicly, declaring victory over them. Now, spiritually speaking, perhaps we need to do the same thing because every person here knows what evil kings are hiding in what cave in your life. You, you hear what I'm saying here? You know who they are. You know all about your secret sinfulness and those problems that you have with this earthly desire, that one that tugs upon you when God's in the Spirit is in you saying, no, 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 no. And you're like, but, you know, but I want to, but you don't say you want to. You say, well, I need to or I have to. And so you justify it, and then you go do it, and God's like, and you're like, right? You're like, I, well, and, you, and then you say, but I had to after all. And God says, no, you didn't. You're like, yeah, 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 I did. And then you're like, well, okay, maybe I didn't, but I wanted to. And God says, I've been trying to tell you that. Right? Now, now is this conversation new to anybody? Okay? See, this is, this is how it operates. This is, this is how it works. And the only way, friends, to get rid of this earthly desire, the only way to get absolute permanent victory over these things in your life is to confront them. But you can't confront them on your own. And you shouldn't confront them on your own because either you'll lose or you'll buddy up with them. You'll sign a treaty with them like Joshua did wrongly and learn from it and said never again. Right? You don't cozy up to the enemy. We talked about that last week and the week before. Friends, you don't cozy up with the enemy. You don't make friends with the enemy. You don't do that. Then why are we? Right? Why are you? See, then this, this is a we thing, but it's a you thing. It's a me thing, right? We got to make it personal, too. You have to drag them out of their hiding place. You got to lay them out before the Lord and let him know that you know he sees them and that you're giving them up for him to deal with them.
okay? You're going to have to put your foot on their necks in the name of Jesus or wherever it is you want to put it and say, by the power of Christ, I'm done with you. I proclaim victory publicly over you. You've got to make it public so people can hold you accountable to it. Now, I'm not saying stand up in front of the church and say, well, no. In fact, I'm, I'm a firm believer. You don't do that stuff. And any pastor that makes people do that ought not be a pastor. That's ridiculous. But you do need an accountability partner. You do need somebody you can trust, somebody you can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, and I'm telling you about it, and I, I know you're probably shocked, but doggone it, I want to put it before the Lord, and I need help, and I want you to pray for me and hold me accountable, and we're going to meet together as much as you can and want to, and, and I'll tell you the truth about it all. See, the devil's like, no, don't do that. And God's like, yeah, get it done. Let's go. See, that's how it works. You'll never prosper as a child of God until your sins are handled, get this, in God's way. Right? You can't deal with them your way. You know how many people I talk to that want to deal with their way? They want to deal with them their way. And I'm thinking, I know where this is going to go. I know how this is ending. You're not going to get a handle on it. You'll suppress it and cover it up maybe, but you won't deal with it. And suppressing it isn't the same thing, is it now? Friends, Proverbs 28, 13, Solomon says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Well, pretty good advice from the wisest man to ever walk the earth. Amen? And who gave him that wisdom? There you go. You know, when you control your enemy and confront him, you're going to conquer him, and you've got to do that too. You've got to conquer your enemy. Joshua took a step that ensures victory over these five kings. He puts them to death. Okay? I just remind us that our sinful desire is good for nothing. Your sinful desire is absolutely good for nada. Zero. Nothing. It's worthless. Because your old sinful nature and your fleshly lusts are good for nothing other than one thing, and that's judgment. That's about what you're going to draw, judgment. Nothing else. Now, if you want to see judgment on those things, well, rock on. But if you want to be absolved of them, and, and, and the devil accuses you of it, and Jesus says, uh-uh, I died for that, and they gave it to me and gave it up. Now you've got something to smile about. Other than that, it's judgment, one way or another. Either you're going to stand before the great white throne of judgment because it wasn't forgiven, or it wasn't enough of a sin or whatever, it wasn't necessarily sinful, and you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to say, you know, you could have been better than that. Either way, you're going to face it, you understand. And I'm not making this up. It's right here in the Word of God, friends. It's right here. Isn't that right, Matt? We talked about that a thousand times. It's right here in the Word of God. And what do I say? Not, this is not my words. These are his. Amen? This is it. So you've got to make a decision. What are you going to do here? All right? Pick it up and deal with it. So, you know, I have to tell you, friends, your old sinful nature, right, is there. And the only way for you to walk in victory before the Lord is to put your desire to death. You have to let, and you can't kill it. God has to do it. Okay? It's going to mean daily dying, or it'll keep you from walking in power and victory, according to Paul in Colossians 3, 5. Now, remember Paul's attitude toward life. He says in Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, 
but Christ who lives within me. Now, we're going right back to where you gave up control, where Christ now controls and you don't. He does. It's him taking care of it, not you, because you'll suppress it, remember? So this is how this game works, okay? And then he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I never forget. This is the one thing I always, when I pray every day, usually round about right there, I, this is what I pray. Lord, remind me every single time I come to you that you died and gave yourself for me before anything else. You gave yourself for me. Yeah, I know, and you're, some of your faces come to my mind that he died for you too. I get that, and I pray for all of you, but here's the deal. I can't do that unless I realize he gave himself for me first. And once I've gotten that, now... It opens up enormous possibilities. So you see, friends, <laughs> you have to understand that we have to receive some lessons about God and about ourselves as believers. We also, friends, lastly, need to learn some lessons about faithfulness, because I'm not sure we know what that is. And as we move into the latter part of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11, which we didn't read, but you can certainly go there. I encourage you to do that. We find here that Israel is completing the central campaign, and now they go on to fight both the southern and the northern campaigns as well. Because, again, they weren't, there's more battles to fight here. They weren't, this wasn't the end all. There was more to go. And we, we have seen the supernatural aspects, you know, of our battles that we've been talking about, as well as the personal aspects of our battles, because they're personal too, right? But in these verses, I think you're going to see the temporary aspect of our battles as well, because battles don't last forever. That's, the war might last a while, but battles are skirmishes, and they go for a bit, and they're done. Right? Some of them last but a few minutes, and some of them last days and weeks and maybe even months. But they're always temporary, you understand? It is. It is. Okay? The war isn't, but the battles are. By, what I mean by that is they have to be fought, but they're not going to last forever, you see. Just as Israel finally finds rest, we too, if we're in the Lord, will find rest from our day of battle. And everybody wants that. You know, if, if, if you've ever got your flu shot, and if you're one of those people that get sick from your flu shot, and I do, I'm, I'm lousy for a day. Anybody been there? Lousy. Now, they say it can't do that. Well, it does do that, and it's not psychological neither, okay? I know the chills that I have, and I know the fever I run, and I know the body aches that I've got, okay? Now, they claim that if you have a great immune system and you get that shot like that, that's your, your body is affected more because it's, it's, it's a, yeah. So I, maybe I got a good immune system. I don't know. All I know is I feel lousy for a day. But I'm grateful knowing that probably it's the next day after that's going to be a little better. Yeah? It's the same way in every battle you fight. As long as you're winning. As long as you're winning. There's hope the next day. And this is what we want to talk about here. You're going to find rest from the day of battle. But until then, allow me, friends, to encourage you to stand firm and then continue the fight. Because battles have been lost when the enemy backs up to regroup and you think they're retreating and so you take you know put your weapons down and go grab a cup of coffee or whatever and think ah and all of a sudden bam there they are again 
Joshua marched all night long and didn't rest. He attacked immediately. Friends, Satan marches all day and all night, and then he attacks and he doesn't let up. Don't tell me you didn't know about that. You know he has. And you know what? The whole time he's marching toward you, he's psyching himself up with what he's going to do. And he's getting a broader smile, too. Because he knows where he's going to attack, and he knows that you think that everything's hunky-dory. Ain't nothing happening. And he's like, mm, okay. I'll put that to bed real quick. And then, then next thing you know, there he is. You see, we're going to have to fight daily. I knew, I knew this, friends, that when we went through this little battle over here, then we went through this battle over here, and then we had another big battle, okay? I knew that that wasn't the end, and sure enough, bam, we got another one. Listen, I wonder what's coming next. Because Satan doesn't let up. He regroups and comes back. He regroups and comes back. And sometimes he comes from a different angle, but he comes again. Sometimes it's two different people. Sometimes it's a different situation, but he's still there attacking, right? And so you must be ready. Now, notice that the battles that Israel fought seemed to come day after day after day. And I'm thinking, yeah, kind of like now. Their lives, you know, were filled with battles, and so are ours. Because the Bible says that the same is going to be true for the child of God. Our battles confront us on a daily basis. Sometimes we see them coming, and oftentimes we really don't, right? And you, here's what we always say. Well, if I'd have known it was coming, I could have been more prepared. Well, of course. No kidding. Do you think he didn't plan it that way? And you know the best way for you to be prepared? See, your problem is, and my problem is, because I know people, and I know you, and I know me, and I know them, and I know every Christian ever fought a battle. I know you. Here's what you do. You think, if I'd only had time, I would have prepared. And you know how you would have prepared? By psyching yourself up and knowing it was coming, and you'd have done things tangibly that you can do to stave it off and that's exactly what you should not have done you should have gone to the lord immediately and said god you've showed me that this day of battle is coming prepare me help me but we don't we go to god after we're losing the battle see that's what we do i know you do it you know you do it let's just admit it and say we did okay go to god first and allow him to do it you know but we're going to have to get up every day prepared get this with willingness to fight our battles faithfully for the glory of God. All you really need to do is get up and, and be willing to fight. All right now. That's it. God will equip you to do it. Don't get up and say, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and I'm going to get this, and I'm going to get this, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to call this person. Nah. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to other people and say, hey, can you pray with me on this? I think battle's coming. Yes. Or I'm in the midst of one round. Boy, I'm in a fight. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Because Satan hates that when you do that. But your first stop is God. Your first communique is God. Your first getting up is a willingness to go to battle with God. Amen? Because it's going to happen. Now let me say this to those who may be waiting on easier times to begin serving the Lord. Because I think there's some people out there who are waiting on easier times to begin serving the Lord. Well, I'll start serving the Lord. I'll, I'll start praying more. I'll start you know, doing things in the church. And I'll start doing whatever when things ease up oh my goodness are you serious we all do that i've done that praise god god kicked me in the fanny and said what are you talking about right he doesn't buy that excuse 
So I'm talking, well, God's talking, using me, maybe, and the Word of God here, to talk to anybody who's waiting on easier times to begin serving. You may never have an easier time. And as we roll merrily along here into the end time that I know is coming, right around the corner here, friends, I can't tell you the day. The Bible says nobody knows but the Father. But I'm telling you this. You may never have an easier day. And what would you say to that? You may never have any. What if these battles continue every day until he comes? Now what? Well, then you never served, did you? Now, you and I know that we're not promised one more day upon this earth. None of us is. None of us is. In fact, the only day I have to fight my battles is today. Why? Because tomorrow may never come for me. So if you have something to do for the Lord, do it now. If you need to surrender to the Lord, do it now. Because according to James 4.17, tomorrow may never dawn for anybody. They may never dawn. If there's somebody that you need to tell about Jesus Christ, tell them today. Yeah, I know it's Mother's Day, but call them up anyway. Mom will understand. And if she's a Christian, she'll want you to. Yeah? You see what I'm talking about here, friends? Yeah, you, you, you got to get this in your mind. And you got to write it on your heart because this is where we're failing as a church. And I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about the Catholic Church Universal. We're all failing. It doesn't matter what name's on the front door. It doesn't matter if it's, it's Roman Catholic, if it's Methodist, if it's Wesleyan, if it's, if it's Baptist, if it's uh, Presbyterian, maybe, if it's, you know, whatever. Listen to me, okay? If it's a Christian-believing, Bible-centered, Trinitarian church, then you're a Christian church. And the fact is, we need to unite together and get this message in our heads. Because we're all faced with the day of battle. Because Satan hates you. Jesus said they will hate you because they first hated him. Friends, do you think you're somehow exempt from that? And the closer we get to his return, the more you're going to be hated. You can't live in both worlds. You can't put one foot over here and be buddy-buddy with everybody saying, oh, don't attack me. And over here saying, oh, God, I believe in you. No. And there's no middle of the road, by the way. None whatsoever. Make your choice. Stop sitting on the fence. You get on one side and stay there. God said that in Revelation. I, I, I don't, I don't, lukewarmness doesn't mean anything to me, God said. I'm going to spit you out anyhow. Because if you're on the fence, you're on the wrong side. I'm telling you. Either you're on God's side or you're not. The Bible says either you're, if you're a friend with the world in any way, you are an enemy to God, period. Now, which are you? Well, you're so black and white. Not right there. Not, not me. I wish it weren't so, but it is. Because I think everybody would choose the middle of the road somewhere. But God says you can't. And he's the one that decides. So, anyway. And you know what, friends? You're going to have to fight with some determination here. The Bible tells us that Joshua fought his battles for a long time, which also tells us this man had some serious determination. And boy, was he faithful to the Lord. Now, these are qualities that need to be developed by all Christians because too many Christians, I think, are, are either taking this, what I call, sabbatical from their faith or they're giving up and quitting. Now, I can't even tell you how many people are throwing in the towel, giving up the fight, or simply going on what I call this spiritual vacation. God needs people who will vow before Him 
that whatever comes, they will stand for him. They will be in his service all the way to the end, whatever that is, whatever that is. They will never quit. They will never peter out. They will never go on vacation or sabbatical in their faith. And they will always trust and they will always serve God no matter what. In fact, that's the command that we have from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, he says, stand firm. Let nothing, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what is Paul saying? Well, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't check out. Don't go on leave. Don't go on sabbatical. Now, I know that sometimes we're so close to dropping out on God that it isn't even really funny. And in our minds, we've quit this thing a thousand times. You think pastors don't deal with that? You think I didn't quit this church a hundred times in my mind? I have in 20 years. In a few short weeks, I'm going to be here 20 years. <laughs> I look it, too. And then just because of physical changes, you know, you ever notice that every president we've ever had ages in four years, in eight years? There's a reason why. Okay? Pastoring's tough. But you know what? Being a Christian's tough, too. But boy, is it worth it. See, this is, this is the key, you know. And that's why I want to stand firm. That's why I don't want to quit. That's why I don't want to check out. You see, God's calling you to come to him this morning and let him fan the dying embers back into this raging flame for his glory. Because we're here to glorify God, and that's it. God didn't put you here to be happy. Don't, 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 when someone tells you that, you know, tell them that's not true. God did not put you here to make you happy. He, gave, he, gave, he put you here to glorify him, and he wants to give you joy. Now, if you don't understand what that means, that's okay. But the fact of the matter is your happiness is not what's important here. If you serve him, you'll have joy, which brings happiness. You understand that? You, you, got, you got to get that in here, friends. That's a fact. Your life does not have to become this, this train wreck or this shipwreck that sometimes it is. And the Bible's clear about that, too. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19, it doesn't have to be a shipwreck. We use train wreck today. Same thing. Right? I know what a train wreck life looks like. I've lived one before. Anybody living one now? Anybody got kids that are living one now? Somehow that's automatically your train wreck too, isn't it? Okay? Look here. You don't have to have that life. And you can't right all wrongs in them neither. They have to do it. They're responsible. You're to encourage them. And by example, not placate them, right? Not make it better for them. No, you can't make it better for them. This is a battle they got to fight. And all you can do is encourage them, lift them up and help them, and stand firm. Amen? <laughs> Lastly, friends, we're going to have to fight with some devotion here. If you'll look at what Joshua was doing, it's obvious that he was doing exactly what God told him to do. And isn't that really a wonderful way to live life? Really, we have no one to please but God. And I'm not sure everybody in this, in, in this room and online is getting that today. You have no one to please in this life but God. You know how I know that? Because I've watched you and I've watched me and I've watched people and we're too busy trying to please other people. That's what we're, but what you don't get is if you please God first, you're going to please those people. They may not see it. They may not recognize it. They might not even believe it. But the fact is when you please God, you will eventually please them when they come to God too. It's real simple. 
That's how it works. And that's what God, and the devil's telling you, no, no, no. And you're like, well, because it doesn't seem, and God's like, do I talk about what seems to be? Or do I talk about what is? You see, our duty is to love God, to study and live in His Word, serve Him faithfully all the days that we live. That's what our duty is. Our duty is to be devoted to God. And when you're devoted to God, you're going to have battles, and that means you've got to be devoted to them too. You see, allow me to share with you some verses that contain absolutely no ambiguity concerning this fact. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love in mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Wow! There's one you ought to be writing down. Huh? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Solomon says, All has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. There it is, kids. You just got it in a nutshell. You see, it all boils down for me to whose will has the priority in your life? Is it yours or God's? Now, nobody wants to be confronted with that question, but, but you were this morning, you see. And you didn't need me to do it. God's doing it every day with you. Now, you can be tuning him out, and we're good at talking to the hand, yeah? Anybody? And then you justify, well, I'm not sure it was really God speaking, you know. It could have been, you know. <laughs> Friends, when God's speaking, you know who it is. He makes sure of that. So which is it for you? And if you find that it is God's will that has a priority, then you may be asking, well, how do I make good on it then? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us. He spells it out for us, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you hear what I said? Every thought that you have, you take captive and make it obedient to Christ. Anything... Every, any thought that's outside of obedience to Christ is you listen to somebody else or self, mind you, talking yourself into what the devil wants you to do, how he wants you to act, how he wants you to self-protect, how he wants you to, I'm going to get that person back, or I'm not going to put up with this, or I deserve this, or I'm blah, 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 blah. You, friends, he does that so much, you don't know which one's right and which one isn't anymore. But you can. When you make every thought captive to Jesus Christ. If it seems like it might not be godly, here's a notion. It probably is not. Anybody? And as our worship team comes, friends, here's the deal. Eventually, the battles of life will be over. Scotty, you can go. The battles of life will be over. The long day will be finished, and we who are saved will go home to heaven to rest in that glorious space that Jesus promised he was preparing, and I take him at his word, that he is there doing exactly that. And in the meantime, there are enemies, okay? And with enemies, friends, there are battles that must be fought. We can either fight them with our own weapons and lose, or we can fight them the way the Lord has shown us and when we can win. Now, which would you rather have, victory or defeat? And it's completely and totally up to you, believe it or not. Now, I don't know who or what you are fighting today. But I know where it comes from. So stop looking at it, what it is and who it is, and start realizing that it is absolutely Satan. It always has been. 
Every battle you fight as a Christian, mind you, is a battle with Satan. He may be using a situation in another person or even a group of people, but it's still him. Okay? Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. It never has been. From the moment you said yes to Christ, it was a spiritual battle, and it will always be until you meet the Lord. You understand that? So, I know who can help you fight and win that battle. Bring that struggle to Christ. Allow him to get you safely through the fight. And it does not matter how hot, how fierce, how long the battle rages. God is more than sufficient to bring you to victory and bring glory to himself. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.